Hello, this is Brian Bullington, and I am pastor of New Song Family Church in Ventuk, Namibia. I'm so glad that you have joined us today, and it's my prayer that this podcast message will help you to grow closer to Jesus as you walk daily with Him. If you've been coming to our church the uh, last couple of weeks and months, uh, you may have picked up on a theme. Uh, we found that at New Song Family Church, very often we do themes, but uh, most of the time people don't know we're doing a theme. It's kind of like these secret themes. But hopefully uh, people learn things and are, are moved even though maybe they don't realize it's a theme. We've been doing a theme, uh, talking about the commands of Jesus uh, for, for his disciples. And uh, you, you know the, the verse, Matthew 28, verse 18, Matthew 28, verse 18. There it is, yeah. Uh, Jesus says, uh, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And then verse 20, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Our church right now is attempting to talk about everything that God has commanded and identify each one of those commands. We'll talk about it. You've, if you've been with us the last couple of weeks, you've probably heard, uh, uh, I shared uh, several months ago, uh, a sermon on Remain. Abide in me, this idea of, of uh, staying with Jesus, remaining in him, remaining in fellowship. But you've heard also, you must be born again. I'm not sure who preached that. We've had sermons from Paul and, and from Rico and from Sevilla and others. Come to me is a command. Believe in me, love me, listen to me, abide. Uh, today, we're uh, trying to tackle the issue of Take up your cross and follow me. Be familiar with this one. Uh, this is a, a very interesting uh, command. It's in Luke 9, 23. It's, it's in other parts of Scripture as well, but this is the, uh, the, the one that I prefer to teach from. So Luke 9, 23 through 25 um, is, is an amazing passage to me because of what it speaks to uh, about ourselves and who we are as individuals. Uh, the motivation of taking up your cross that Jesus gives us here is interesting to me. You may have seen uh, in Ventuk, uh, once a month, or I, I see this about once a month, uh, someone actually who's built a cross and is carrying it on her, his shoulder and pulling it through town. Have you seen this? Y'all seen this? Uh, they'll usually uh, do it, uh, the, the way I would do it is to put rollers. They put rollers on the back so that it pulls a little bit easier. It's an effective way to pull across. Uh, I was in uh, the Kavanga region last week traveling, and just as I passed Clutefontaine on the way to uh, Rundu, uh, I saw a guy on the side of the street uh, with a partner, and he was pulling a big cross with wheels on it, and it looks like he was making his way up to the Kavanga region. Uh, I came back on uh, Friday and did not see him, so I'm assuming he made it, made it safely. This, this idea of carrying your cross... Uh, there's nothing wrong with actually building a cross and pulling it on wheels. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Uh, we do believe that Scripture is teaching us to do a little bit more than just that. Uh, this has actually been done famously. Uh, when I was a kid, there was a, an evangelist who, who pulled his cross, uh, built a cross, put wheels on it, and, and pulled it across the United States and then went to every nation. He pulled a cross through every nation in the world over his lifetime and shared the gospel uh, because people were intrigued by this cross he was pulling, and so then he would stop and share the gospel. Interesting. 
I think it's a little more involved than that for you and for me. If you want to build a cross, uh, I'm not going to laugh at you. Uh, it could be exactly what God wants you to do, is to build a real cross and pull it. I think for our purposes this morning, talk about the in depth of this passage. Look at the passage. He said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For wherever whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? I think for our times that we're living in right now, this is probably one of the most significant commands of Christ for us today. We live in a world that is consumed with self. And we are more concerned than ever before as a society about finding ourselves, discovering who we really are, uh, what makes us tick. These are huge questions right now that we're debating as a society. Who are we? This has moved into what is truth? Who determines what truth is? What is gender, right? These are our conversations we're having. Never thought we'd have them, but we are. What is biological sex? What is my identified gender? But all the while, all these questions though are questions that we're asking uh, because ultimately we want to find out that place of, of joy, that place where life, we are most content. The place in life where we are most satisfied, where we feel the most comfortable in our skin. We're looking ultimately for joy. We're looking for what really, really, what makes life worth living, meaning in life. I, I think that's the root of, of this search that we're in as a society. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? It's interesting to me that when Jesus says, deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow me, he motivates us to do that. The motivation is that we don't lose ourselves, that we discover who we're supposed to be. I think that's interesting that Jesus motivates us in that way. Personality psychologist Dan McAdams in the 1990s stole a word from the agricultural community, so the people who plant flowers and you know throw seeds in the ground, the word selfing. Uh, the agronomists use the word selfing to talk about how uh, you know plants actually uh, pollinate. Uh, but psychologists told the world, it's a great word, selfing, uh, to use it to describe how we construct and live out life, our life story. Uh, in other words, how we discover purpose, how we connect with who we really are, how do we connect with the world, and how do we make intelligent decisions about ourselves, and how do we make intelligent decisions of how do we interact with the world, selfing. Uh, I like the word because it uh, just all by itself, it seems to make sense to me. How do we self? Uh, are you selfing today? Now, of course you are. Every one of us are selfing. Uh, we're trying to figure out that connection of how we should operate, trying to figure out the, the, the way to, to be most content in life. We're trying to understand how this works. According to Jesus, the secret of selfing is to lose your life for his sake. And if you lose your life for his sake, then you will find yourself. And he says, how tragic if you can't find yourself, 
If you're lost, when all is said and done, you embrace the world, do everything the world tells you to do, but you lose yourself. How tragic. I'd like to just help us with some understanding of definition this morning. And uh, if you will, enter into a world with me of hopefully not confusion, but understanding. Try to explain how we as a society and how the world and philosophers have described what self is. I think we need to start there before we can continue uh, because uh, in order for us to be concerned about losing self, we need to understand what self is, right? Here we go. There is one very popular view. It's the, uh, the, the idea of the determinist. The determinist believes that everything is a result of your biology. You really have no control, uh, that uh, every decision you make is a result of, of your biological, physiological makeup of your body. And so you are making decisions, but this is really, a, you're really a delusion to think you're making decisions. In actual fact, what's happening is, is that uh, this has all been predetermined by your biology, physiology, and you're just making decisions that were predetermined a long time ago because of how you were constructed, how you were developed physiologically, biologically. Everybody still with me? Thank you. Fantastic. So uh, this has been a very popular theme in the world. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of the musician Doris Day. A couple of weeks ago, we actually sang this song, Kesara, Sara, whatever will be, will be. Remember that? Were you here? Who was here? Did y'all sing with me? Whatever will be, will be. Yeah, anyway, it's this very sad song written by an old Hollywood. If you're my age and older, you've seen this movie. Uh, but uh, this belief that somehow uh, everything that happens is you have no control over. And it was just determined already uh, because we are merely uh, the, the result of the, the cells and the DNA, the biology of our bodies, and it's just predetermined. We actually have a spiritual version of this. Uh, it's theistic determinism. Is this God uh, sovereignly uh, planning everything for you ahead of time without you having any choice in the matter? It's kind of a what I would call a theistic determinism, this idea that somehow you are not making choices, but all choices are being made from you, not by your biology so much as by a divine being. It, it's an interesting uh, perspective. There are other perspectives, another view. This is another view that became popular in American psychology about 100 years ago. Uh, but this idea of the me and the I, uh, basically these, uh, this competing, these competing forces that uh, there's this me, the biology me, uh, that has been predetermined by DNA. And then there's the I, uh, which is not static, which is aware of this body that seems to be separate from who I really am and you're telling your body what to do. Uh, most of us, I think, can relate to this idea that somehow we are who we are is who we are, but then we have the ability uh, with this other entity to, that within us, not, not that, <laughs> this is, I'm just giving you how they explain it. This other, this other entity is making decisions for the me. So the I is making decisions for the me. The me is the basic biological construct, and then the I is the... Uh, the very much aware, non-static, uh, very aware who can be the autonomous self that can make decisions for the me. Uh, isn't this exciting this morning? We are just rolling. This is important that we understand this. It's because uh, as we look at scripture, as we look at a biblical understanding of how we operate, there's also this idea 
uh, of the flesh. And so if we want to uh, draw a bridge between the, the, the psychology to the, to the Bible, uh, the me is the flesh, uh, this side of us, our bodies, uh, that have desires uh, and have uh, inclinations. And then there's our soul, uh, the spirit, uh, that actually makes decisions about the flesh. And very often is, uh, as very often biblical writers talk about this idea of how the flesh has trumped the spirit. It's, I, I don't do what I want to do. Let me sh show you this very quickly in, um, in Romans. Uh, Paul, who wrote Romans 7, he spoke about this struggle between the flesh and the soul. This is what he says. Uh, For we know that the law is spiritual, but, but I am of what? Is it up there? Great. I am of flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. I do not do what I want to do, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with a law that is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it sounds like a book from Sesame Street. It is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. He goes on to say, for I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive of the law to the sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, he says, who will deliver me from this body of death? And then in verse 25, Paul praises God. He says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. This idea of the writers of the Bible, uh, those who came before us understood that there was this, this battle between our soul and our flesh, this body that we live in. And the other, the other perspective, which is a very biblical perspective, is that the soul lives on, all right? The body will be destroyed at some point in death, but the soul continues, right? And if you're aligned with God, your soul stays with God, right? We, we, the Bible tells us we'll see him face to face. We'll be with him. If, if you're not aligned with God, then your soul lives on forever, but in, in hell. There's this agony for your soul that takes place if you haven't chosen to follow Christ. This is the biblical perspective, soul, spirit. All of us can identify with this kind of battle, right? We all identify with, with trying, uh, trying to discover who we are and then trying to fight who we are to be a better who we are, to be better self. We self all the time. We try to figure out what's the best way to have meaning and significance in life. There is one other uh, perspective that I think uh, we have all been exposed to, uh, and that is that uh, everything really is just a social construct. Have, have you heard this? It's the idea that actually who we are, the flesh and the soul, are merely a representation of what uh, uh, the, the world has uh, decided for it to be. In other words, there really is no biology. There's just this, this idea that we have power over and that we can decide over our biology we have power over our biology to change and become who we are. So that in reality, gender is just an idea instead of biology. Um, 
who we think we are is really something that we determine based on how we feel. So social constructionism purposes that certain ideas about physical reality, um, so certain ideas about the physical reality, the biological physical reality arises from a collaborative con consensus. In other words, that people have come together and said, no, this is what it is. And so that gender is merely just a, a cultural expression, but not uh, truly a biological reality. Uh, we've seen this in popular culture, uh, people deciding, you know, I, although I am biologically a man, uh, I am now going to change who I am. I'm, I'm actually a woman inside. I really, although I look like a man, I, I feel like a woman. I, I don't know how that happens in people, but it does. This is what has become very popular. One of the most fascinating things uh, about the trans culture that, I, that, I, that is, is fascinating to me uh, and sad is the non-acceptance of the validity of the body a person finds himself or herself in. In other words, they see biologically they are a gender, but are not comfortable with, with that, and decide to discredit the, the, the reality of this biological truth, this biological reality, to discredit, to say, no, that's not really who I am, and I can overcome this. Biology is reduced to a cultural social idea as opposed to just biology, physiology. Then they choose to alter. What's interesting to me, the fascinating thing to me about this whole community and culture we're living in right now is that once they decide they are another gender, they choose to alter the very biological body with biology, with science, and dress it like the original biological culture and historically defined view of male and female as they've been determined by God since the first person was created. It's fascinating to me that they then decide to make a scientific biological decision on their body, often to transform it to the one that they believe they are internally. So they discredit biology and then they acknowledge biology later to make their change. I find that interesting and, and, and contradictory and, and sad. I think we're living in a very difficult time. So when we say, this is really me, we're saying that this is the version of lifestyle that I am most content. I, I'm not comfortable being someone other than this. But we're looking for ourselves. What version of myself really gives me the greatest joy? This is questions we ask. We also ask questions, what, uh, where am I happiest in my own skin? You know, when I do this, I feel joy. When I behave this way, when I'm in this position, when I'm in this job. And, and so the idea of selfing uh, speaks into uh, how we make choices, how we make decisions, what jobs do we take, who do we marry. Uh, it's important to know who you are. It's important to know how to get the best version of yourself, right? Uh, because it impacts your whole life. According to Jesus, our best self is found in losing ourselves for him. Luke 9.23, and following. If you follow me, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. You want to save your life, you will what? Lose it. But if you lose yourself for me, you'll find it. How tragic, how horrible when we do not discover we lose ourselves because we have embraced the world. Take up your cross and follow Jesus. This idea of taking up your cross is not, it can be a physical cross. Nothing wrong with that, really, unless it's for some kind of form of penance. <laughs> Try. But uh, 
which outside of the forgiveness of Christ and the, and the strength of Christ, is somehow if I do this, God will love me. There's something wrong with that. But just building a cross and pulling it, probably not anything wrong with that. But really the idea of pulling the cross is what? The idea of taking up your cross is that we take up the message of the cross. We carry the message of the cross provided by the sacrifice on the cross. Jesus sacrificed his life on the cross for us, for you and for me. So we take the message. We also take the reality of the journey of the impact of the cross with us. So not only do we take the message, the glorious message of Jesus Christ having died and risen again and giving salvation to a lost world, that's taking up your cross, taking the message of the reason for what happened on the cross. But also too, we, in our journey, as we share the gospel, as we live for Jesus Christ and taking up our cross, we are also embracing the persecution and struggle of the cross. And to take up your cross is a costly commandment. Not only are you proclaiming the gospel, the truth of the cross, but you're also experiencing the same kind of suffering that was on the cross with Jesus Christ. And that you are walking and living out exactly what happened to Jesus Christ. We are living out the reality that as we share the gospel, as we live for Jesus Christ, it costs. There is suffering involved. Take up your cross we're encouraged to actually count the cost so that we understand how costly this is. The reality, though, is that I love this passage because he says, listen, if you're willing to lose yourself for Christ, you're going to find yourself. Your life will be saved. This is the promise. Suffering for Jesus is temporary, right? Pleasure in Jesus is eternal. The fact is, is that there is a cost. For, for many uh, who follow Christ, uh, they're going to lose friends. Uh, as one author says, there's going to be ruptures in relationship. There's going to be broken relationships because you're aligning yourself with the, the truth of Jesus Christ. There are going to be ruptures in, in possessions. There's things that you will not have because you will lose them for the sake of the gospel. For so many, the reality is, is that as you pursue Christ, you will not have the comfort of this world and the things of this world. That's a reality. It's possible. Ruptures in relationship. Ruptures with your vocation. It's possible that this may impact your job. This may impact the job that you choose as we take up our cross. I spoke to my son yesterday who uh, stood before his board of directors. He works at a, at a company. And he gave God glory for, for what God was doing in his life. And uh, he was praising God to his directors, to his leaders, saying, the reason why we've been successful and I've been successful this week and this month is because of what God has done in my life. He told me yesterday, he said, uh, he said Bob, I, I may lose my job, but I feel like I had to make a stand. That because everything that's happened, all the success I've had, I know is from God. And I had to tell him. And I had to praise God. I had to give God glory for what God has done. He told me his bosses just kind of looked at him. Just kind of a stunned look on their face. But he said, Pop, I got, I got to keep doing this. I got to make a stand. So yeah, when we take up our cross, there is the possibility of losing friends, losing our jobs. It, there is a sacrifice involved. Following Jesus is costly, but it's worth it, Right? Uh, look, look with me at Luke 14. This is the warning of Jesus. I love this honest Jesus who says, look, 
the reality is, is that this is going to cost you. He says this, Luke 14, but don't begin until you count the what? Count the cost. God's calling you, yes, to take up your cross, but count, think about what this means. For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to finish it? The verse goes on to say that if you start a building and you don't finish it, people will laugh at you. Verse 31, or what king would go to war against another king without first sitting down with his counselors to discuss whether his army of 10,000 could defeat the 20,000 soldiers marching against him? All of us are encouraged to think through this. My wife was married before me. We all know that I think if you've been to this church long enough. And uh, her first husband, she and her first husband were missionaries in in West Africa. They served in a place called Burkina Faso. Before they went, her husband then set her down and said, we need to count the cost. What could happen to us? And Dana tells a story. She thought through and she said, well, I guess the worst thing that could happen would be that someone would die. We would lose a member of our family. And they sat there and they processed, prayed together, said, but you know what? That would be worth it still. They went knowing and accounted the, the, the possibility that someone would die. And sure enough, that's what happened. And God sustained my wife, continued to sustain her. She continues to serve God today because she thought about it before they went. And for many other reasons. The faithfulness of God, of course, being the top is the reason why she continues to follow God. We count the cost. It's worth it. It is worth it. We follow. We follow. We listen to his voice. We follow Jesus Christ. We deny ourselves. Take up our cross. We follow. We follow by listening to his voice. Reading his written word and listening to his active voice in our life. The living word. We listen to the living word who tells us each step to take. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Jesus. If I try to save my life, I will what? I'll lose it. If I give up my life for Christ, I will what? I'll find it. And how tragic if one loses himself. How tragic. Stop just for a moment and think about this. All those people who are currently selfing in our world, we're all selfing. But just think about all those people who are selfing in all kinds of what we might think is bizarre ways. Imagine if they understood this amazing truth that if they just were willing to give their life in service to Christ, they could actually find this thing they've always wanted. That true self, the meaningful self, the full and meaningful life, and ultimately an eternity in the presence of God. If we're just willing to lose it for his sake. Our best self is found in losing ourselves to him. I was just in Rindu last week, and uh, we uh, worked with a church, several churches there locally in Rindu. But then uh, we walked outside. We drove to different places, regions all over the Kavana region, and we, and we just went to homes, and uh, you, you, there's no doors to knock on, so you do this. And, uh, and we were received so graciously by people. Just say, come, yeah, I'll sit under our tree, let's talk. Time. A lot of time. And we sat 
We sat with family after family and just shared the gospel and listened to their stories. We met a lady uh, there. Uh, we discovered later that uh, she was the mother of seven children with many different men. And uh, by the time we got there, of course, she was interested in discovering something that would actually change her life. She had a tough life. She sat down on the ground on the sand, uh, feeding her children. She had a, a baby sitting on her lap, breastfeeding. And she, the whole time, just asking us questions about, well, how do I, how do I have a meaningful life? Look at my life. This is incredible poverty. Horrible life decisions that she's made that have almost destroyed her. Many men, she said, not a single man that has been with her takes care of her or her kids. So she is herself taking care of these seven children. I watched as a uh, one of the ladies who was on our team shared the gospel with her. Incredible. This is what she shared, Matthew 7, verse 13. She drew on the sand this huge pathway, this path, wide path, and then she drew a gate. Then she drew beside it a small path, small road. It's all in the sand. And this is what she read to this lady. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. But those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. The lady presenting the gospel to her paused and said, so which path are you on? She pointed to the big white path and said, that's where I am. The Bible tells us that we've been born into death. We've actually been born onto this white path. And that road leads to destruction. We were, we were dropped into that wide, wide pathway that's leading to death. The invitation of Christ is to turn, repent, and believe. That's what it says, Mark 1, 15, 14 and 15. This is what Jesus, this is what Jesus said through John. When John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. What is the gospel? The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. We need to do what? Repent and believe. She said, you can move from this broad path to this narrow path, but you have to repent. You have to turn from the way you've been and place your faith in Jesus Christ. This is the key. The gospel is what? The gospel is that Jesus came. He died. He rose again. And he gives us life. As we trust in him, we receive this life. As we follow him, we discover life. But we're told very clearly that the way is narrow, right? It's not easy. It's hard. The gate there is, is narrow. How is it narrow? Because it's only through Christ. Jesus is the only way, the truth, and the life that we can actually walk on this path. This lady said, yes, I want to make this. She prayed. She prayed there, right then and there, yes, to follow Christ. The churches there are continuing to walk with her, to help her, to grow spiritually. They've, been, they've welcomed her into their spiritual home. They're the churches that are meeting under trees, and under uh, quick, quickly made, thrown together buildings. Uh, 
but that's where they're meeting. That's where they're discovering community. So pray for her. Pray that she will discover this community. We saw others give their life to Christ. We saw others who made decisions to, to start walking the narrow path. One old man, he'd never heard it before. He'd heard it many times, but not, never understood it. And when he finally clicked, he just jumped up from the ground and started shouting and screaming, weeping, saying, I finally understand. Finally, yes, I want to walk this path. Finally. But the joy of discovering the truth of Jesus Christ. When we give our lives to him, when we take up our cross and follow him, we discover this life. Whether young, old, poor, rich, no matter how we identify, our true self is found in Christ. The gate is narrow. Have you found? Have you found this path? Are you walking on the narrow road? Are you taking up your cross? Are you able to deny yourself? The invitation is if you want to find yourself, you have to deny yourself. Take up your cross. God has tasked us with the responsibility of not only being saved, yes, be born again, but he commands us to follow him. Daily denying ourselves for his sake, for his glory. Choosing his way, his path, his message. Embracing his sacrifice. You realize that those who've gone before us were willing to die for this. Many of the writers of the Bible that we read today, many of them were martyred on behalf of Jesus Christ and were glad to be martyred, delighted that they get to be honored enough to, to give their life for his sake. That's the invitation for you and for me. But that is the secret of finding life. True selfing takes place as we take up our cross, deny ourselves, and follow him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you. Lord, that you change lives. Lord Jesus, you love the Samaritan woman. You love the demoniac. Lord, you loved me. Lord, you still love me. And Lord, you love every person sitting here this morning. And Lord, you have provided a way for them to discover life. Lord Jesus, may we as a church, may we follow you. Lord. We take up our cross and follow you. Praise you, God. Oh, we praise you because your grace is sufficient. But we praise you, God, because you change lives. Lord, it's in your precious name. This is Rico Veca, and I am also a pastor at New Song Family Church. I want to thank you for listening to this message today, and it is my hope that you will join us again for another New Song Family Church podcast.